So would you turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 30 for today's teaching? Jeremiah. Uh, Oh, I love this book. The book of Jeremiah has been uh, um, challenging and brutal because it's kind of a heavy book in a lot of ways. The weeping prophet, he's called, because he's got a tough message for the Jews in Jerusalem and in Judea. By that time, Israel had already been taken up to captivity. The northern 10 tribes, they were history for decades uh, by the Assyrians. But now the southern two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, are under threat of the Babylonian three waves, 605, 597, and 586 BC uh, were all horrible times for the Jews. And Jeremiah was the prophet telling him of those events that were coming. So it was a heavy message. But once in a while, Jeremiah gets to shine a little bright spot of light, something good uh, in the midst of all the bad. And, um, and we have a single verse today that pretty much says both the good, bad, and the ugly, but the ugly goes first. Uh, than the good. And, uh, but before I get to that, there's some things I wanna share with you before we read this scripture because the temptation might be to say, well, Brett, Jeremiah and your you know, prophecy and all this stuff that you're talking about, uh, I don't know, you know. Some people get a little uh, testy around those situations and wonder why churches go through Bible prophecy. Like that. Well, let me give you a, a, just a quick reminder of something that I like to teach from time to time from the Bible because there's four main things the Bible says that we're not to be ignorant about. Did you know that? The, the, there's four things. The Lord, he says, people, listen, if you're, if you're gonna be ignorant, don't be ignorant about four things. The sad thing is I found that the church of Jesus Christ by and large is ignorant of these very things. Uh, and, and it's funny how, you know, it's the very thing he warned us not to be ignorant. Let's take a look. Ignorant thing number one. Um, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, do not be ignorant concerning Satan's devices. You know, the tricks of the enemy, the tricks of Satan. That's a big one. We've talked about that in previous studies, of course. The second one is don't be ignorant concerning the things of the Holy Spirit. And you know, I found that the church of Jesus Christ is not only, we tend to be ignorant of the Holy Spirit and and his workings, but um, we are divided on the issue. Uh, that some of the church says, well, the Holy Spirit, um, we don't believe he even moves in the same way he did in the early church with you know, miracles and the speaking of tongues and, and uh, word of prophecy. Uh, we, you know, the, so there's churches, we call them cessationists. That is that the Holy Spirit has ceased uh, from doing his work like he did in the New Testament church. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's a true teaching. And I'll tell you why. Because the Bible tells us and it's, it's the scriptures we hold. You know, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says, don't be ignorant about things of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on and tells you what the manifestations of the Spirit really are. And it includes some of the more controversial ones like speaking in tongues, word of prophecy, word of knowledge, healing. You know, these, these are the, the workings, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Spirit still moves in that way today and it's great. However, In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul the Apostle warns, don't abuse these uh, manifestations of the Spirit. And that's why there's such division, I think, and even ignorance uh, about the Holy Spirit is because if you're either A, you dismiss it altogether, say the Holy Spirit doesn't move today like he did in the church, or it's abused and you have our, you know, charismaniacs running around, flopping around on the floor saying, it's the Holy Spirit, they're all flopping around on the floor. And people are like, what is that all about? That's wacko, it is. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say we're to flop around on the floor and stuff like that. Um, it's an interesting thing that people 
Uh, we tend to abuse this idea of the Holy Spirit. And so, so a lot of people just throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. You know, just uh, uh, the Holy Spirit's not for today because it's weird. No, no. Uh, and I find it sad that the church is largely ignorant. By the way, if you're interested in that, I did a whole series uh, several years back on the Holy Spirit, seven 20 minute teachings that you can listen to and hear about everything from tongues to healing and what the Holy Spirit does through the word of prophecy and those kinds of things. We did a whole thing on that. You can get on that. Number three thing that the Bible says you're not supposed to be ignorant of is God's plan for Israel. And sadly, I'm gonna have to say this because it's just numerically, statistically correct that most of the church is ignorant on this. Um, you know, there's entire, you know, uh, denominations that say, yeah, God's done with Israel's, Israel and the church has replaced Israel. It's called replacement theology, that the church has replaced Israel. Dangerous teaching, really in error. And I'll tell you why. It's real simple. First of all, God made an everlasting covenant with the Jews. And, and some of the covenants he made, I'll admit, were conditional covenants. If you do this, then I'll do that. Uh, and the Jews failed in some of those covenants and those covenants were then broken. But there are some key covenants that were based on the Lord and his keeping his promise alone. Not the Jews keeping their promise, the Lord keeping his promise. And he, he made, it says it over and over in the Bible, I've made an everlasting covenant with Israel. And so if you're a Gentile, uh, all high and mighty, saying, well, we're better than the Jews because we're the church and we've replaced Israel, then you've got a problem. If God forsook Israel, even though he made an everlasting promise that he wouldn't, what keeps him from forsaking you? Like, like if, if you really uh, do the math on this thing, uh, why wouldn't God forsake you and me? We're sinners just like the Jews. We fall short just like the Jews did. So is God gonna bail on us like he bailed on the Jews? Well, see, the math of that doesn't add up. God does not bail on the Jews. God has a plan and a purpose for the Jews. And it's really clear. In fact, you can read uh, the best section of scripture, in my opinion, on that is Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. But let me just read to you just a bit of chapter 11. It says this in Romans eleven twenty five: For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit. In other words, we could become self-conceited because of this as Gentiles. He's writing to the Romans, Gentiles, and saying, don't be ignorant about this concerning Israel. He says, lest you be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in and then so all of Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob Jacob's the name of Israel when they're in trouble. Did your mom have a nickname for you when you were in trouble? My mom used my middle name. I knew when she said, Brett, Evan, met her, I needed to run for my life. That, that was a cue, that middle name. Well, when the Lord says Jacob, it's speaking about when they're kind of in trouble a lot of the time. So he says, the Lord will un deliver the ungodliness away from Jacob for, check this out, this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins as concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But as touching the election, they are beloved of the Father's sake. In other words, Paul says, yeah, the Jews are not into the gospel of Jesus Christ because they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, even though he is the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the one that they should have been looking for and watching for, but they missed him. And so, you know, Paul says, yeah, he, they're not, you know, your friends as far as the gospel, but as Gentiles go, we need to understand 
that the Jews are still God's chosen people. When will all of Israel be saved and realize that Jesus is the Messiah? This is starting to reach into our study today. When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, when God is done with his Gentile church, uh, and then the Jews are gonna go through a time where they will all be saved. God's plan for Israel. Now, the fourth thing we're not supposed to be ignorant about in the Bible that it tells us this is end times prophecy. Don't be ignorant about the end times prophecy. And there's people who are willingly ignorant of this. Who's willingly ignorant of this? Well, this is where 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, sort of introduces this idea. Let me just kind of refresh your memory. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he starts off talking about the scoffers. Listen to this. Do you hear this today? Uh, it says, know first that there will come in the last days, when the end of the world is near, uh, scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. It's all the same. You guys have been talking about prophecy and end times. Where is that really? And they're scoffing. Know this, in the last days, those people will increase. So when people come up and say, Brett, you guys are into prophecy and you've been talking about the rapture of the church for years. And when, when is the Lord gonna really rapture? Come on. I say, you know what? You're fulfilling Bible prophecy right now. You're a Bible prophecy fulfiller, scoffer. Well, he goes on and says this, but beloved, be not ignorant. This is verse eight, 2 Peter 3, 8. Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack or lazy concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't he raptured his church already? Why hasn't he intervened in this world by now? The answer is the Lord would that none should perish. He's patient and long suffering. You know, I'm so thankful for that, that the Lord is patient. If the rapture of the church happened right now, how many of us would go and be in heaven right now? Man, I bet a lot of us in this room. But let me ask you this. How many of you have been saved and become a Christian in the last 10 years? Raise your hand. Within the last 10 years. See, isn't that awesome? I'm so glad the Lord waited for you because you're part of the kingdom now. You're part of the family of Christ. Uh, how about the last, how many of you guys have been saved all within the last 20 years? Raise your hands. Okay, see, that's pretty good. That's over half our people here. Uh, if the rapture would have come when I thought, he was, I thought it was 82. 1982, and so did a lot of other people. Um, all the planets were aligning. And I remember as a kid, I was like, you know, 14 or whatever, or 15. And I remember thinking, oh, this could be it. Because all the planets are aligning and it's also a weird time, the 80s. If you live the 80s, you think the rapture is gonna happen. It's like uh, either this big hair has gotta go or the rapture of the church, one or the other. But either way, um, I knew it was gonna be. And, and there were even people in the Christian church that were charging up their credit cards because they knew they weren't gonna have to pay off the credit card. They're still paying on those bills probably right now in 2021. <laughs> but, but uh, the rapture of the church, and so people mock and say, you've been thinking of it, this is gonna happen forever. But the Lord says, I would that none should perish. It's not slackness or laziness. It's that I want people to be saved. And then it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Global warming, I believe in it. It's just gonna happen really fast uh, in one instance right here, according to the Bible. But all that to say, uh, what's this saying? The fourth thing that we're told in the Bible not to be ignorant about is the end times 
the rapture of the church and, the, and Bible prophecy and, 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 and people that mock say, oh, it's been thousands of years since Jesus was on the scene talking about the end times. Yeah, but Peter says, but a day with the Lord is like a, a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. It's only been a couple days in God's economy. So the time is short in God's perspective. So these are the four things to not be ignored. The bottom two there, God's plan for Israel and end times prophecy um, this is why today's text in Jeremiah is important. We're gonna be introduced here to uh, the, this topic called the tribulation. In the Bible, there's a period of seven years that's um, split into two three and a half year segments. Um, the first three and a half years are gonna be bad. The second three and a half years are gonna be perhaps exponentially worse. Um, the middle of the tribulation, the seven-year period, is marked by Daniel the prophet and by Jesus himself. And the book of Revelation all talks about this three-and-a-half-year period where something happens called the abomination of desolation. What is that? Well, where the temple in Jerusalem that will be rebuilt in the tribulation uh, will be defiled by a coming world leader. There's gonna be a world leader that will make peace with the Jews and probably with the Arabs as well. And this abomination Daniel talks about and Jesus talks about um, is foreshadowed in the book of Daniel by an event that actually happened in history. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But it's gonna happen ultimately in the last days of the world uh, where he's gonna defile the temple and that's when the Jews in this tribulation period will realize they've been duped by this coming world leader. He's called in the Bible this world leader, Antichrist, man of sin, son of perdition, uh, the Assyrian, um, you know, this, this, um, this antichrist character. He's not a guy with a black cape and a pitchfork and a little goatee. He's actually a very slick politician who's gonna be uh, probably um, sort of the global leader. Is anybody trying to make things more global? Globalism, does that ring a bell to anybody right now? It should, because the world is moving that way fast. Um, but this is gonna be a world leader that's gonna be slick, uh, orator, politician, military guy. This is the coming world leader. Well, he's gonna eventually go into the temple at three and a half years and de demand to be worshiped. And that's when the Jews in this tribulation period are gonna see the world leader for what he is, totally whacked. And they'll, they'll run for their lives at that time. And I'll show you how that all shakes out in the Bible. Um, but before that, understand the tribulation period, the seven year period is given several names as well in the Bible. The tribulation period, one of the names is Jacob's trouble. We'll dive into that a little deeper today. The time of Jacob's trouble. Now, why do we say Jacob? Remember, Jacob is the name of the father of Israel when they're in trouble. Abraham is the one that's the father when things are good. The father Abraham of the Jews, the mighty nation of Jews. But Jacob in the Bible is often referred to when they're sort of in trouble. Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. That's the grandson of uh, Abraham, but still the father of the Jews. Are you still with me on that? So when we talk about the tribulation period, whose time of trouble is it? Jacob's. Uh, is, it is it the churches, the Gentile church? Well, do you remember what I read in uh, Romans 11? When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then all of Israel will be saved. And I'll keep that all tucked away. We'll talk about the time of Jacob's trouble today. But there's other names for the tribulation period. Jesus in Matthew 24 called it the time of great tribulation. And some you know, scholars would say he's referring mainly to the last three and a half years. That's gonna be more intense 
in trouble than the first three and a half years, but Jesus called it the great tribulation. Um, it's called the time of the wrath of the lamb in Revelation chapter six, verse uh, 16 and 17. Now, some people say, that doesn't sound very scary. I'm not afraid of a wrathful lamb. <laughs> like, is that something to be afraid of? Lambo, like, oh no, run for your lives. A lamb is coming. <laughs> um, well, wait a minute. Jesus came as a lamb. Remember, Jesus was identified by John the Baptist. Behold the lamb of God, which came to take away the sins of the world. But that was his first coming. His first coming, he came as a lamb. The next time he comes, he's coming as the leader. First time he came as a carpenter. Second time he comes, he's coming as a conqueror. First time he came, he came to be judged of men. The second time he comes, he's coming to be the judge over all men. The first time he came, he rode in on a little colt of a donkey into Jerusalem. The second time he comes, he's coming, riding on a white horse, coming in the sky with 10,000s of his saints with a huge old tattoo, sorry grandma, tattoo on the side of his leg that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the end. Like it's, that's gonna be a powerful second coming. Um, but that's the thing. When Christ comes, that's gonna be all part of this, this uh, you know, the rapture of the church. I believe the order of events, and there's different views on this, but I believe the rapture is gonna happen first, then the seven-year period of the tribulation. What's the rapture, Brett? Um, you, you may hear critics of this call it the secret rapture. I don't know why they call it a secret rapture, because I don't think it's a secret. I'm telling you about it right now. Um, I'm trying to tell as many people as I can about the rapture of the church. And it's not gonna be a secret when it happens, because when the rapture of the church, everybody's gonna see a massive disappearance. There won't be any secrets about it. So if somebody calls it a secret rapture, that's just somebody putting their spin on something that's just kind of not really true. It's a very, well, the reason it's a secret, Brett, is the word rapture is not in the Bible. It's not if you have a certain translation. But the original language of 1 Thessalonians chapter four says um, the word is harpazo in the Greek, rapture in the Latin, that's where the word rapture came from. Um, uh, and caught up in the air is the English translation. And it says, those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to meet him in the air and we'll be with him forever from that point on. That's called the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians chapter four. And the rest of four and chapter five of First Thessalonians starts talking about how we can encourage each other with these words that we'll be taken out. Why? We're not appointed unto, guess what? Wrath. What's the tribulation period called in Revelation 6? The time of wrath of the Lamb. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says, you and I are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, that's the good news. By the way, uh, some of you might, you know, critics and stuff that might be saying, I don't know about all this, Brett. You're just trying to escape the tribulation. You're an escapist. And my answer to that is always, yes, I am. Luke chapter 21, verse 36, Jesus said, pray. When he was talking about this stuff, he said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape all of these things. And that's what's gonna happen. The, the believer of the end times, the, the Christian of the last days, if they're a believer in Christ and a follower of Jesus, when this all, the day of the Lord kicks into gear and the tribulation period starts, the church will be taken out before the wrath, wrath of God is poured out upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. So it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the Jews' trouble, sad to say. And, and don't get me wrong, it's not that the Jews are gonna stay in trouble because it's during that time of Jacob's trouble, we're gonna see some uh, blessing there. 
Uh, I'll, I'll show you that in our text. Great tribulation, time of the wrath of the Lamb. One more delineation uh, the Bible. Oh, there's others, but I'll, I'll just give you this fourth one. The 70th week of Daniel. Uh, for you, this is for you Bible prophecy buffs. There's 70 weeks determined upon Israel. And the weeks are weeks of seven years. Um, they're called heptads in the Hebrew language, which is a, we use the word week just for seven days. But in the Bible, the word heptad could be seven years or seven days. And so it's talking about 77 year periods or 490 years determined upon the Jews, upon Daniel's people and upon Jerusalem, the holy city. Um, and it's a great prophecy. But that final 70th week, all the 69 weeks have already happened if you follow Bible prophecy. But there's this gap where the 70th final week, the final seven year period that's for Jerusalem has yet to happen. There's a gap in there. What's the gap? Well, the gap is the church, the church age. You know, the, the Romans conquered Jerusalem in AD 70, the Jews scattered all over the world and were no longer a nation in Israel. It was shortly thereafter the church really caught fire and spread from Jerusalem to Judea and then to the coast on Mediterranean Sea and, and then eventually made it to Europe by Paul the Apostle when he made it to Philippi and then ultimately in Rome. And then from Rome, the gospel of Jesus spread even to the farthest, craziest places like Portland, Oregon. It's amazing how the gospel reached as far as it did. But all that to say, we're living in this church age. And while, while the church wasn't in the first 69 weeks of Daniel's 70 weeks, I don't believe the church is gonna be in the 70th week of Daniel because God does not pour his wrath upon his own bride. Um, that's not gonna happen. The Lord never destroys the righteous with the wicked. So if you've been a Christian, if you've accepted Christ, you're declared righteous. Um, and so you're saved and you get to be taken up. If the rapture of the church happens tomorrow, you'll be taken up. Now, if you're a post-trib uh, person and you say, I believe it's gonna be after the tribulation, I believe you'll be raptured too, only you'll have to change your notes as you're flying up with me. Because uh, you were wrong about that. No, it, it's an in-house debate and discussion. Uh, don't get too uh, up in a tizzy about all that. But uh, the rapture of the church, seven year period called the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, the wrath of the lamb, the 70th week of Daniel. These are all delineations for that time. Now, all that said, let's go to our text here and see what it says in Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah 30. And there we read verse seven. He says there, alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Well, who's the he there? Israel, the Jews. When will they be saved? During the time of Jacob's trouble. And he, Israel, shall be saved out of that time called Jacob's trouble. Now, what is this time of Jacob's trouble? Well, some might say, well, Brett, the context here is, you know, the Babylonians, the three waves, uh, uh, the Babylonians came and, de you know, defeated the Jews in Jerusalem, 605 BC, 597, all the way to uh, 586, the final wave where the Jews were just butchered there by the Babylonians. And a small remnant was dragged off into captivity into Babylon. Much of the book of Jeremiah really is about that. But the thing about this prophecy that Jeremiah gives is his gaze seems to go further than just the local application. And the first signal of that is he talks about not just 
you know, Judah or Judea or Jerusalem. But he talks about Judea and, or Judah and Israel itself. Well, Brett, isn't that their name? Well, do you remember? They were split. The 10 Northern tribes, that was Israel at the time. And they had been gone, wiped out by the Assyrians decades earlier. But here's Jeremiah saying, I have a prophecy for Israel and for Judah. Israel ceased to exist decades earlier. So what's he talking about? This is where I believe Jeremiah is talking about something much bigger than just the Babylonian uh, local issue that they were having. But his gaze goes to a futuristic end times kind of prophecy. Let's back up and see some of the context. We'll look at this whole chapter and you'll see it on Wednesday night. But I just wanna show you some of the highlights. Look at verse three of our text. Jeremiah 30, verse three. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people, Israel and Judah. So he's talking about both. That should be a sign because Israel's not even in existence at that point when Jeremiah says this, saith the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess it. And these are the words the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard the voice of trembling of fear and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail and all the faces are turned into paleness. Alas, that day is great and none shall be like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved in it. Verse eight, for it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds and thy strangers shall, have no, shall no more serve themselves of him, Israel, the Jews. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up to them. Question, was David on the scene at this time? No, David had been dead for hundreds of years. But see, this is where this prophecy is big. It's way in the future. And, and those of you that know your Bible, you know that the reason that they refer to the throne of David is because the descendant of David, the son of David, the Bible prophesies that ultimately the son of David would rule and reign for an everlasting rule uh, on the throne in Jerusalem. And we know that that time's called the millennial kingdom. When Christ returns, he's the son of David, Jesus, who will return the second coming of Christ and rule and reign from Jerusalem. That's gonna happen. The Bible speaks much of that. So this is how we know Jeremiah is talking about the end times now. He, he moves from the Babylonian uh, siege and that local thing to in chapter 30 talking about the big story, the, the one that includes you and me, and, and especially Israel and Judah as it relates to their future. And really in summary, this verse seven uh, is basically saying, Israel's gonna go through a time of trouble, Jacob's trouble, but he, Israel, will be delivered out of that trouble, out of the tribulation. And that's what the rest of the Bible teaches as it relates to the tribulation period and the Jews. I hope this is making sense for you. And, and if this is all new to you, that, uh, I'm, I'm basically trying to summarize, there's you know, pages and chapters of the Bible full of this information about what's, what God is gonna do with the Jews. And it's gonna have to do with the end times where all of Israel will be saved. Romans chapter 11, like we read earlier. All of Israel will be saved during the tribulation. 
Well, what about us? Well, we're saved now. Hopefully, I hope you're saved and we'll be taken up and raptured out of there. Now, you say, Brad, okay, what does this have to do with me? Well, this, this forces us to kind of look a little deeper at this idea of Jacob's trouble that's being talked about. Has Jacob, has Israel had trouble? I'd like to share with you Jacob's trouble past, Jacob's trouble present, and Jacob's trouble future. Let's first talk about Jacob's troubles past. Have the Jews had troubles in their past history? Let me put it this way, has any people group in the world uh, had as much trouble as the Jews? And for those of you that know your history, you know that uh, nobody even comes close. Um, some people say, Brett, there's people that have suffered more than the Jews, like who? Well, you might say, um, we've talked about this. What about racism in America? Racism in America is a horrible thing and it should be stopped immediately. And it's anti-Bible. It's the Bible teaches that, man, we're all one in Christ. We talked about that last week. But um, the reason you can say clearly the Jews have suffered more than any other race or people group is, is even racism that we've seen here in America, there's not a large movement to say, we want you to cease to exist from off the earth. Like there's never been a time where any race has been threatened to say, we're gonna wipe you off the earth so that you never exist. That's our goal. We've never seen that happen as much to any single group than the Jews. There's been at least four times in the world's history where there have been legitimate attempts, almost successful attempts at wiping out the Jews so that they become extinct. Um, man, if you go over the history of the Jews, you realize, wow, nobody's even come close as far as how many times, how intense it was. Um, it's, it's the, the history goes all the way back to the pharaohs in Egypt. If you remember there in Egypt, the, the pharaoh started to see the Jews were growing. Joseph went to Egypt, his family moved there, but they started growing, the Jews. And eventually the Egyptians said, man, there's more, gonna be more of, us, more of them than, than there are of us. So let's make them our slaves. And so they enslaved the Jews there in Egypt for over 400 years, being whipped by the taskmasters, baking bricks in the brutal sun of Egypt. And that's what the Jews were doing for 400 plus years. By the way, um, Josephus, who's an ancient historian from the first century, he wrote about the Jews in Egypt. And one of the claims that he makes, and he was closer to that history by a couple thousand years than we are, so I believe he could be more reliable than things we know, but one of the things Josephus said is that the Ramses of the Pharaohs, they chose to strike all of the information about the Jews in Egypt from all of their writings and hieroglyphics and all their stones and, and pyramids and all that stuff. They didn't want any record of the Jews there. Can anybody imagine why? Now, a little story in the book of Exodus uh, where the children of Israel, if you remember, they left Egypt because of the plagues and it wiped out the Egyptians totally. Like you couldn't have an army wipe out the Egyptians more soundly than God did by the plagues of Egypt. And eventually the whole army of Egypt drowned in the, in the Red Sea, uh, if you know that story. And so the Egyptians said, man, we don't want that going down on the record book, so they struck it. Uh, now it's not completely stricken, but there are very hard, it's hard to find records. And so some people say, well, the Jews were never in Egypt. That's just a, a Bible invention. I found it's always good to go with the Bible and not with your, you know, uh, history channel. Watch out for the history channel. Uh, the Bible's always right, the history channel's mostly wrong. 
Uh, there's a rewriting of history and stuff, but that's one of the things, this idea of the Jews being in Egypt. If you go to Cairo, there's actually a, a museum in Cairo that has an Egyptian stone 12 feet high that's got all these writings of the history of Egypt and the wars of Egypt. But one of the things that's written on there from back in 1400 BC, they found this writing on this uh, stone, Israel is annihilated, Israel will have no posterity, no future. Why? Because the Egyptians wanted to wipe out the, the Jews. Now, did that happen? As it turns out, the Jews are alive and well today. That was not correct. What they wrote in stone, that actually proved to be false. But the, the Pharaoh ultimately wanted to wipe out the Jews altogether when they came down to that Red Sea moment. If you remember the story in the Bible, he was gonna kill them all. That was the plan. He'd rather, if you're not gonna have, be our slaves, we're gonna have your blood shed in the deserts of... Uh, um, of the Sinai. Well, then fast forward to the book of Esther. Haman was a guy who wanted to wipe out the Jews and, and was gonna kill them all. Uh, he ended up hanging on his own gallows that he was building for the Jews because he didn't realize the wife, the most favorite wife of the king, uh, a lady named Esther, who was beautiful but also godly, uh, she was a Jew and he didn't know that. So he said, I'm gonna kill all the Jews. And the king said, cool. Oh, wait a minute. You mean my wife's a Jew? Uh, forget that, you're gonna die. And that's how that story pretty much goes. But that was another attempt to wipe out the Jews if you read that story from the book of Esther. Fast forward 167 BC. If you remember after Alexander the Great who conquered the known world at that time, when he died, it was divvied up to the four generals, uh, Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, Seleucus. But one of the things that happened is those four general people groups started to war against each other, specifically the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. And in that skirmish, it was like between sort of the north above Israel and south by Egypt. And when these battles were going back and forth, Israel was sort of the speed bump between the two. They were uh, beat up by these, these, these battles of the Ptolemies and Seleucids. But out of that came a horrific story with um, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. He was this madman who came down into Jerusalem and conquered that region. And he hated the Jews, killed the Jews by the, by the tens of thousands initially. Um, he, he did grossly uh, weird things. Like he went into the temple where he knew the Jews were not into pigs. Uh, it was not kosher for pigs to have, or you know, be grown in Israel by the Jews. So he went into the temple there in 167 BC and he slaughtered pigs and smeared pig's blood all over the Jewish temple. And then he went out of the steps of the Jewish temple and made the priest of the temple drink the pig's blood. Totally gross deal. Well, there was a priest, who was a guy who refused to drink the pig's blood, the priest there at the temple. And so they, they, they slit his throat and killed him on the steps of the temple in Jerusalem. Little did Antiochus and his army know that that priest had several sons. And these guys were like sort of Navy SEAL Team Six type guys. Uh, they're called the Maccabees. Have you ever heard of the Maccabean Revolt? Well, these Maccabees, the sons of that priest that was killed on the steps, they got together sort of their SEAL Team Six army and ultimately defeated Antiochus and his army, wiped him out. And they lit the candle or the censers there, the candles there in the temple in Jerusalem and they ran out of oil and the, the candles kept burning and it's a little festival called Hanukkah. Uh, that whole thing about Hanukkah is about Antiochus Epiphanes and the victory of the Maccabeans. Uh, it's an amazing story of miraculous proportion. Um, that's why the Jews celebrate Hanukkah around this time of year. 
But the reason I bring that one up is Antiochus, when it was all said and done, he killed more than a million Jews in that particular skirmish. More than a million Jews. Like that's, that's radical. I could go on and on. The Romans killed 1.3 million Jews during their conquests. Um, Titus, the general, was literally throwing Jews over the wall, just dropping their bodies over and killing them by the tens of thousands in AD 70 when he conquered uh, Jerusalem. Um, the Roman Empire, Emperor Constantine, who some people say, oh, yeah, he was a Christian, right? Well, I don't know, he hated Jews because he literally had Jews, all, he'd, all the Jews he could find, he'd t- uh, chop their ears off and make them walk around as vagabonds uh, without a place to live. And he wouldn't let them settle anywhere in Jerusalem or anywhere else. They had to just travel around with, without ears. Um, That's what Constantine did. I could go about the sixth century where 60,000 Jews were killed in one day. Uh, in 622, when Muhammad founded Islam, <clears throat> you know, several centuries after <clears throat> Christianity, uh, the latecomer, Islam, uh, Muhammad hated the Jews when they refused to join his new religion most of the Jews that lived in Arabia at that time were slaughtered by Islam armies. Um, man, I could go on. The eighth century doesn't have a person as much that I could talk about, but the eighth century might've been the darkest era ever for the Jews. Jacob's trouble passed. The eighth century is about as bad as it gets. Al-Hakim, who is that veiled Mohammedan, he did some horrible things, hated Jews, killed Jews, but he also made them... Um, wear bells and carry these wooden calves. And the wooden calf was a reminder that these Jews worshiped golden calves when they left Egypt um, and that they wore a bell to let people know they were coming. Like it was, it was a dark time in the eighth century. German states considered the, the Jews slaves of the emperor and they were outrageously taxed and plundered by everyone. The European countries prohibited them from owning land they were excluded from attending schools or universities. In Spain, they were um, burned to death uh, along with France. Uh, the Jews were treated horribly. <clears throat> and you could go all the way through the eighth, ninth, and 10th centuries. Um, the eighth and ninth centuries were largely peaceful, I should say, but the eighth century was the worst. Um, and then, man, you could just go on and on, but uh, fast forward to the crusader period. Well, bro, wasn't the crusaders people from England that were crusaders went down and killed a bunch of Muslims? Yes, but it ended up also being much, as much against the Jews as it was the Muslims. Um, in fact, the crusaders had a cry, uh, kill a Jew and save your soul. <clears throat> That's what they cried. In the year 19, or pardon me, 1298, great persecution swept Europe. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed in that year. Um, uh, the Black Plague in 1350, speaking of pandemics, um, a real one engulfed Europe uh, back killing one-fourth of the population. Um, did you know our population, uh, this plague, this pandemic we're having is killing like 0.024% of our population? Uh, back to Black Plague, one-fourth of the population, was that was what a real pandemic looks like. But what's interesting about that is Jews were blamed for, for the, um, the Black Plague because they weren't affected by it. All these Jews were walking around healthy. Meanwhile, Europe's dying. Why, why did the Jews get tagged? And what, what was the deal with that? Well, it had to do with the Jewish uh, practices of their religion, which included 
washing of the hands and ceremonial cleansing and not eating of certain foods. And it just turned out the foods that they wouldn't eat were the very foods that were um, <clears throat> transmitting this black plague. And so the Jews were hated and even killed because they were thought to be the cause of the black plague um, and what have you. Well, that goes on during the Russian czars, five million Jews killed during the Russian czar era. Uh, in 1881, Alexander III, the head of the Russian church, made a decree. And this is just one example. I'm just giving you a few of the highlights. But he made a decree and publicly stated the policy against Jews during that time, one third of the Jews had to die, one third had to be forced to emigrate, and the other third had to join the Russian church. That was what their plan was. Kill off a third, send out a third, and uh, make the other third join the Russian church. Um, and then fast forward all the way to World War II, Nazi Germany, hopefully you all know the Holocaust. Now, one thing about this, uh, about the Holocaust, is people are denying that the Holocaust even actually happened. I'll show you that as we get into our next point. Israel's had nothing but trouble in their past. What about their present? Israel's trouble, Jacob's trouble, present? Now, some of you might be scratching your head saying, but I've been following Bible prophecy. And I know that things in Jerusalem and in Israel are gonna get worse before they get better, before Christ comes. But right now what we're seeing, in 2020 at least, we've seen maybe some of the most peaceful year uh, in, in all of Israel's history. And you could make that argument. Jerusalem and Israel has been very peaceful. Praise the Lord for that. Um, and you might say, Brett, what's that all about? Well, if you follow Bible prophecy, do you remember one of the prophecies about the end times is the Gog, Magog invasion that's gonna happen? Ezekiel 38 and 39. If you know your Bible prophecy, before that happens, what does Israel experience? Anybody remember? Peace and safety for a season. Israel's gonna experience a peace and safety. Now, this, don't get me off course on this one, but you know, the, the nations listed there in, in uh, Ezekiel 38 are all postured and poised right now. And I could see them attacking Israel tomorrow and it wouldn't even take much to do that. Um, they're already hostile toward Israel. Meanwhile, all these nations last year, and, and this is one of the most underreported news items of 2020, but President Donald Trump and his administration brokered a peace deal between a bunch of Arab countries and the Israelis. Um, this, is, this is amazing. You know, the last time an Arab nation uh, aligned with Israel was more than 20 years ago, and it was the, the country of Jordan. And it was like another 20 years before that, it was the Egyptians that made a peace deal with Israel. But it's such a rare thing, and all the presidents have tried. Barack Hussein Obama, Bush, Bush, uh, Clinton, all of them tried to make peace deals, the Arab-Israeli conflict, Meanwhile, Trump comes in and brokers at least three, and who knows, uh, he might even sneak one more in before the end. Um, but this is unheard of, but nobody cares. Nobody cares, why? Because it's Donald Trump, I guess. But as a follower of Jerusalem and Israel and the geopolitics of the Bible um, and the end times, this is amazing. Israel's experiencing nationally a time of peace and safety, which to me follows the narrative of Ezekiel 38, exactly. It's exciting times we're living in. Now, well, Brett, that sounds like Jacob's not in trouble in the present. Well, it, it, it is for, that is true for the New Jersey-sized nation, Israel. But Jews around the world have been experiencing anti-Semitism 
to alarming rates this last year. Um, synagogues have been torched um, and even defaced. Uh, even New Zealand and Sweden, all the synagogues are being painted swastikas on the outside of them. In fact, in Sweden last year, one of the little towns there, there was a mob yelling, death to the Jews. This is in Sweden. Um, uh, uh, you know, one of those um, synagogues was firebombed in Ukraine this last year. Uh, firebombing. Um, the Jews are saying it's no longer safe to be a Jew in Europe. Uh, places like Londonistan, I mean London. <laughs> you think I'm joking. Um, did you know that the mayoral candidate Gita Sidhu Rab was suspended by her party for using the campaign slogan, don't vote for a Jew. That was her campaign rhetoric. Uh, don't vote for a Jew. Uh, of course, a person wouldn't vote for a Jew. And that's spoken like a Muslim there in London. Um, London, uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that have happened in synagogues and Jews have been beat up just for looking Jewish as they're walking down the streets in Europe. And it's on the rise. This year was maybe one of the worst years since you know, uh, the Nazi Germany uh, era of anti-Semitism around the world. So while the state of Israel might be safe and secure, being a Jew around the world is a dangerous endeavor and it shouldn't be that way. Um, by the way though, there's something that's happening. Because of that, Jews are flooding into Israel. They're moving to Israel from all over the world because it is the only safe place to be a Jew, sad to say. Well, all that to say, Jacob's trouble past, Jacob's trouble present, but the big one is Jacob's trouble future. And this is where the Bible speaks about how the Lord is gonna wake up a nation, the Jews, to know that they've missed the Messiah, that Jesus, the Messiah, the Jew, is the one that they should have been following all along. How's that gonna happen? Well, again, it has to do with what our text tells us. This is Jeremiah talking about that. Uh, in Jeremiah, it says this, uh, our text for, um, um, I'm on the wrong page here, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse seven, the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Now this isn't new, this prophecy isn't new to the people of Jeremiah. It came in the law of Moses long before um, they even were in the Holy Land. Can I read to you from Deuteronomy? Jot it down in your notes but it's Deuteronomy chapter four when the Mosaic law was being given. It says this, it says, the Lord will scatter you among the nations. When did the Lord scatter the Jews? This prophecy has been fulfilled. Uh, AD 70, when the Romans trounced Jerusalem, that's when the Jews moved to Europe and eventually made it all the way to New York and the United States and all over the world, the Jews were scattered. But the Lord prophesied that, the Lord shall scatter you among the nations. You shall be left few in number among the heathen, whether the Lord shall lead you. There you will serve other gods, the work of men's hands of wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But listen to this, if from thence, those places around the world, you seek the Lord thy God and you shall find him. If you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And then when you are in tribulation, all these things will come upon you, even in the latter days, if thou shalt turn to the Lord thy God and shall be obedient to his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant 
of thy fathers, which he sware unto them. This was the Lord long before the Jews ever were in Israel. Um, the Lord says, listen, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna be scattered all over the nations and you're gonna get all into you know, worshiping other gods. But if during time of tribulation in the latter days, we're not just talking about Antiochus Epiphanes or the Babylonian invasion or Nazi Germany. This is talking about the latter days. It says in the very end of the world, I will start to draw you back in and gather you into the land of Israel. And there in the land of Israel, when you turn to me with all of your heart, I will be merciful and uh, save you. This is what the Lord says. And so this is one reason, by the way, why you cannot be one of these people that say, well, God's done with the Jews and he only loves his church and the church is now the new Israel, the new Jerusalem. No, nope, that's a wrong teaching because God says, I'm not gonna forsake you in the last days. And when you turn to me, I will save you. Now, when's that gonna happen? We've already talked about it. There's the church age we're in now at the fullness of the Gentiles. Whenever that church age is over, we're taken up to be raptured with the Lord, to be with the Lord. Then the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, not the church's trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel that's determined upon thy people, upon Jerusalem, the Jews. Then that 70th week, that seven year period, that's when the Jews will see and their eyes will be opened and they'll follow Jesus the Messiah. Jacob's future is brutal and it's gonna get rough, but God has a plan to save all of Israel. It's gonna happen. Now, with all that said, some of you say, okay, Brett, that's, that's great. Uh, you told us all about Jews and Jerusalem. What in the world does that have to do with moi? You know, uh, I could care less about Jews in Jerusalem. Oh, but you should, you should care. There's a bunch of reasons why, and I'm just gonna go over a few. Number one, as a Christian, as a church, remember what I read in Romans 11, don't be arrogant as a Gentile. But understand that blindness in part has happened to Israel. We need to be compassionate for the Jews. Um, the Gentile church has not been friendly to the Jews by and large. We've not done what the word told us to do. Did you know that Martin Luther was the worst of anti-Semites? I'm so thankful for Martin Luther and his, you know, getting away from the Catholic church, uh, you know, uh, rules and what have you. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But at the same time, he was an anti-Semite. Just, uh, you just look it up, you'll be shocked at what he believed about Jews. But much of the church throughout history has really been hard on the Jews. And, and we've not been a great example for the Jews to point them to Jesus. But as the church of Jesus Christ, we are told in the Bible to do several things. First of all, we should be friends of the Jews, even though they're not perfect. I'm not saying Israel does everything correctly or right, but it does say that, man, I will bless the nations that bless Israel and I will curse the nations that curse Israel. That's what the Bible says. The psalmist cried out and said, listen, pray for the peace of Jerusalem for they shall prosper that love thee. The, the people that love Jerusalem and the Jews and care about them, they're, they're gonna pray for them. By the way, when you and I as Gentiles pray for the peace of Jerusalem, what are we praying for? We're praying for Jesus to come to rule and reign, because there will be no real peace, no lasting peace in Jerusalem until the Prince of Peace, Jesus, rules and reigns there. So when we pray that, that scripture, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, that is Jesus to come, his second coming. Uh, the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ, we get to return with him. 
Uh, by the way, those that believe the rapture of the church is at the end of the tribulation, it doesn't make sense to me, I'll tell you why. Because we get raptured to take it up to be with the Lord and then we come back with the Lord, right back. Do you understand, what's the point? Are we just yo-yo theology, up and down? No, there's a reason we're raptured, I think, before the tribulation, and that is the seven-year period of tribulation on earth might just be the seven-year heavenly honeymoon we have with our bridegroom, Jesus. Uh, we're gonna have the marriage feast of the Lamb, and we're gonna be with the Lord, and then at the end of that seven-year period, then we return with Christ. The Bible says Christ comes, remember? King of kings, Lord of lords, written on his thigh, and he comes riding a white horse with 10,000s of 10,000s of his saints. Who are they? Us. You see, all of this stuff we're talking about, about Israel and be, you know, their trouble and the tribulation period, we're gonna be involved with all that. We're also gonna be involved when Christ comes in his second coming and we're gonna be there when he rules and reigns in Jerusalem. And I don't want us to be, you know, tourist. What's that? Click our Bermuda shorts and our flower shirt. Hey, where are we now? Uh, this is the New Jerusalem and here we are. You know, like, like, don't be duped. I'd rather be a tour guide rather than a tourist. That's why I share this stuff with you. You need to know this is what's gonna go down. And as it relates to Jerusalem and Israel and the Jews, don't be ignorant. Bible says don't be ignorant of what the Lord's plan and the future for the Jews are. So you pray for the peace of Jerusalem and you're excited about the future that we have with the Lord. But there's one final thing that I need to say, and that is this. When all this stuff comes down, there's some people even today that will be left behind who will not be up in the rapture, and that's the unsaved, people who have yet to accept Christ. You know, and, and if the rapture of the church doesn't happen for another 100 years, you say, Brett, maybe that's you know, like all the other times where you've been wrong. The rapture, I've always said, could happen this year, it's possible. Um, but we don't know for sure. But if you were to die today, would you know if where you're gonna go, north or south, heaven or hell? If the rapture of the church happened today, do you know that you'd be taken up to be with the Lord as part of his church? The way you're part of the church is to be a Christian, to accept Jesus, the work of the cross. You see, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter, we're all sinners. We've all blown it. But if we believe in Jesus who came, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus came to visit us and he died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. So that when we acknowledge our sins or repent of our sins to the Lord, the Bible says he will forgive us and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No matter how bad you've been, the Lord is able to take all of your sins and wash you and cleanse you and you're saved. You're not saved by your good deeds. You're not saved by being good or hopefully your good outweighs your bad. That's just wrong. Bible knows nothing of that. The Bible says the person who saved, who's saved will start to see good works in their life. Faith without works is dead. But that's not how you're saved. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith. I don't know about you. I, I like the idea of the rapture. There's no problem I have in 2021 that the rapture doesn't solve. I think that'd be a great solution to the election problem that we're having right now. I think the rapture of the church would be a great solution to the um, scandemic that we have, scandemic that we're, <laughs> Brett, it's real. Oh, and there might be people that are really getting sick, of course, but man, listen to our last prophecy update. I hope you understand the numbers just aren't adding up. But all that to say, we've got all these lies and scams and who knows what to believe anymore. The rapture is gonna solve all that. 
But if you're not a Christian, you, you are left behind. Now, some of you might say, Brad, I'll tell you what, you guys get raptured. When you're all disappearing, then I'll become a believer. And, and I'll say, well, Brett was right. They're all gone. Came to Athey Creek and there's only like three or four people here. <laughs> they all drove their Priuses. Sorry, just kidding. I like, I like, making, I like making fun of you Prius King people. My parents drive, drive a Prius, so that's why I make fun of it. Um, so sensible. But you know, there's gonna be people left behind. Who, who, who will that be? It's not, it's, it's the people who have rejected the salvation of Jesus and have yet to be saved. And so you say, well, I'll just wait till you're all raptured. And then if Eighth Greek's empty on some Sunday, I'll realize, whoop, missed, missed it, I'll accept Christ now. There's a couple things. One, you're risking the timing of that. You might get run over by a truck today, accidentally. You don't wanna miss that. But also, did you know that to be a believer in the tribulation period, it's gonna be impossible, like it's gonna be brutal. And the Bible says, if you're one who is a Christ follower in the tribulation period, it will cost you your life in a brutal and horrible way. Like you don't wanna be a part of the tribulation period. Better to be saved now and accept the forgiveness of Christ now. It is no better way to live this life than having your sins forgiven and knowing that you have the hope of heaven. Do that now, why wait? Today is the day of salvation. No, not, not a year from now or, when you start to see things shake out, chances are you're gonna miss it anyway, so don't. My challenge to you is with, when we look at Israel and all these prophecies that are coming to pass perfectly, this is evidence in the Bible that shows that God exists, that he's doing a work in the Jews, just like he said, he'd scatter them, regather them. You know, people should have been blown away May 14th, 1948, when Israel became a nation again. They should have said, the Bible's true. God predicted that would happen. After almost 2,000 years of being uh, scattered all over the world, the Jews regrouped, just like the Bible said. And every detail is coming to pass all the way back from Deuteronomy chapter four. We're seeing those things happen right before our eyes. What more evidence does one need to know that God's working and he's doing his will on this earth? The question is, are you on board with God or not? That's the question, let's pray together. Lord, we consider your word and we're just so impressed with Bible prophecy because other books and people have tried to make predictions only to find themselves uh, sometimes partially right, but so far off really. But your word is so perfect and the prophecies about your people and the Jews and the world, Lord, we find it to be just such a glorious evidence that your word is true. And I pray that you just stir the hearts of those, perhaps who are watching online right now or those that are here in this room with us. Lord, those that have yet to accept Christ and repent of their sins. I pray that today, just the evidence that they see in your word and the truth of our sinful condition and our need for a savior, may that just be stirred up in their hearts to where people today would just give their life to you and confess their faith in the work of the cross. Lord, do a work even right now in the souls of people who've been doubters or for whatever reason have put off salvation. Lord, today may they accept and give their heart to you.